are launching into this little mini-series entitled Love Moves. And the reality is this, if you've been around Phoenix Bible Church for any length of time, you've either seen or you've heard these phrases like love moves or, or we are imperfect people who have been moved by the perfect love of Jesus. And it comes out of our mission statement that we exist to help people love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead other people to Jesus. But the reality is love moves, imperfect people moved by the perfect love of Jesus. That doesn't just come from our mission statement. That comes from Jesus Christ himself. You see, if you don't know Jesus this morning, here's a little summary for you of, of Jesus's love for you. Do you know Jesus loves you? No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, Jesus loves you. But he doesn't just say he loves you. He shows he loves you. And he does that as he steps in, as he moves into human history, as he lives the life that you could never live, as he dies a death in your place for your sin, as he rises again in victory over sin, Satan, and the grave. Love moves Jesus. You see, we didn't come up with that slogan because we thought it was cute to put on a tote bag. Jesus modeled it. He came up with it. Amen? Amen. Jesus shows us what his love is like. And so as, as we start this unified church, we're going to start where everything starts. We're going to start with Jesus. We're going to start with his love and what it looks like to be loved by him and to encounter that love, but also express that love. Because the, the reality is the love of Jesus, it never stands still. And so if you were to say to me, Tim, well, I know Jesus, I've experienced the love of Jesus, it will move you to extend that love to other people. That's the way it works. And so we're going to talk about that, that sequence of, of what it means to be moved by the love of Jesus so that we love Jesus and we live like Jesus and we lead other people to Jesus. And so today we're talking about loving Jesus. And we're going to talk about Jesus today. Is that okay? I think it's appropriate in church to talk about Jesus today. Uh, we're going to do so from the uh, book of 1 John. So if you would grab a Bible with me, uh, you can head to the end of your Bible. If you're new to the Bible, you hit Revelation. You've gone a little bit too far. Go back, thumb through a couple pages to the book of 1 John. We're going to start in chapter 1. But I, I want to preface it this way. Um, Jesus is popular. Jesus is, is popular literally among pop stars and, and politicians. Lots of people like Jesus, but the version of Jesus that they like is all across the map. Have you noticed? Some people, uh, Jesus is the man upstairs that they thank uh, for winning a Grammy. Okay? Some people, Jesus is their homeboy. They put it on a t-shirt. For some people, Jesus is their lobbyist for whatever side of the aisle they vote on. Okay. Now, is, is that Jesus? For some people, maybe even in this room, you would say, well, I don't, I don't know about any of those forms of Jesus, but, but I know Jesus was an inspirational figure, a historical figure, a remarkable teacher, really a remarkable man. And I think a lot of our culture, a lot of our world, maybe some of you even in this room would say that about Jesus, but it, is that Jesus? See, one of my favorite things to do is when I get into a conversation with somebody about Jesus and, and they start describing the Jesus that they don't believe in, and I get to say, oh, I don't believe in that Jesus anyway. 
Like, I, I agree with you. Like, that's not the, the Jesus of Scripture. Let's go to the Bible and see who Jesus really is. And so we're going to do that together. And there's no better guy to listen to than John. John is the apostle, the same one who wrote the gospel of John. He's known as the beloved disciple because he was Jesus' best friend. He was with Jesus as he lived. He was with Jesus even as he died. Jesus shouts out from the cross to John, the beloved disciple. John was with Jesus in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. He had intimate, up-close, personal knowledge of, of Jesus. And so if we want to know who Jesus really was and really is, John's a great guy to go to. So we're going to go to him now. First uh, John chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Read along with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. If you take notes or if you have a bulletin, here's the first thing we see about Jesus from the Apostle John. It's that Jesus is not an accessory to your life. He's the preeminent authority over all of life. Jesus is not an accessory to your life. He is the preeminent authority over all of life. Look at how he starts in verse one. He says, that which was from the beginning. Now, if you've read any of the New Testament, you know, that's a different way to start a letter. See, most letters start with an introduction. They start with greetings and telling people hello. John gets right to it. He doesn't have time for a greeting. He starts out, hey, that which was from the beginning, it's like he's preaching a sermon. And honestly, if you read the book of 1 John, it reads more like a sermon than it does a letter. Like he just gets right into it. In fact, he doesn't have time for a period. If you look at verses one through three, that's all one sentence. And grammar students, the subject and the verb, they're not till the end of the sentence. Some of you, that makes you really uncomfortable right now. Your teacher's in the room, right? He's just talking about the object. He's talking about Jesus. And listen, while John may get a C in grammar, he gets an A in theology, amen? Because everything starts with Jesus. And John can't wait to tell you. He doesn't even have time for a period, for a breath to tell you, hey, Jesus, he was from the beginning. Now, this is important. This phrasing is really intentional by John. You see many people in, in his day, many people in our day, we think about Jesus really seriously a couple times a year. Christmas and Easter. Baby Jesus, resurrected Jesus. And we think, I don't know what happened in between there, but it's probably some stuff, you know. I think he made water into wine, you know, whatever fa favorite miracle that you have to use for your own purposes, you know. And, and sometimes if we're not careful in our culture and even in the church, here's what we'll do is we will box Jesus in to his 33 years of earthly ministry. Here's what John's trying to do from verse one. He's trying to blow up that box. He's trying to let you know, hey, you can put Jesus in a box, but he will not fit there. 
Jesus, he didn't have his beginning as a baby. He is the beginning. Amen? He's the beginning of all things. All right, Colossians 1 helps, helps us with this. We're going to do a whole series on the book of Colossians in a few weeks. But in chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul says it so well. He says, hey, he is before all things. All things were created by him. He was the creator, not just a baby in a manger, right? When the stars were hung in the sky, who did that? Jesus, always the right answer in church. Thank you. All things were created by him, but Paul takes that another step further. All things were created for him. And in him, all things hold together. See, what's, what's holding our, our universe together today? What's holding you in your seat and, and gravity today? How are the planets circling in the way they're supposed to circle today? How are you breathing oxygen? How is your heart beating? It was all knit together. It's being held together by Jesus Christ. Do you believe that this morning? That which is from the beginning, Jesus Christ, he's lifting your eyes beyond the manger to the glorious creator, sustainer, redeemer, maker of all things. You need to know today as we kick off this unified church, Jesus is the end game. Jesus is the alpha. He's also the omega. It all starts. It all goes through Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. So John doesn't have time for periods. John doesn't have time for grammar. He's excited about who Jesus is. He's overwhelmed by who Jesus is. A good question for us to start with today is, are you? Are you just attending another religious service? Are you just singing some songs and standing up and sitting down and going to lunch after this? Are you enamored? Are you in awe? Are you blown over by Jesus Christ? And John's preaching a sermon to you. I'm trying to preach a sermon to you. That you would not just be okay with Jesus. That you would not just experience his love and think it could terminate on you. But you would know that love never stands still and it doesn't with Jesus. When he encounters you, you can't help but be changed for eternity. So right off the top, that's what John shows us. That which was from the beginning. And as I thought about this, as I studied this, I, I just thought about you. See, I know today, like, there's a lot more people here than any of y'all have probably experienced recently in church. And you're all coming back next Sunday. I know. I mean, I know you, you are, right? Okay. Okay. But in case you don't, <laughs> this is a unique Sunday with a lot of different people. And listen, you need to know, I, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad every single one of you is here. And yet I know we're all here for different reasons. We all come to church for, for different reasons. We all come to Jesus for different reasons. And some of you, if you're honest, say you started your new year, you set some goals, you set some new year's resolutions for your family, for your finances. And you just thought, man, if I could get some Jesus sprinkled on all that, you can be honest in church, it's okay. Maybe I would flourish. Maybe my finances would flourish. Maybe that debt would go away. Maybe some things in my life would start to break. If I could just get a little bit of Jesus on my dreams and my vision. 
And some of us, if we're honest, that, that's how we come to Jesus. That's how we come to church. Some of us are, are just simply looking for some morals, like some things that, to, to raise our, our kids right, because public school's getting crazy and the culture's getting crazy and, and gender's getting crazy. And I mean, I just, I want to keep my kids safe. And I want to keep them preserved like their innocence. And so I'm going to bring them to church. I'm going to bring them to Jesus. And, and he'll do that, right? He was a good teacher. I mean, Jesus, he loved the little children. I sang that in church, I think, once. And some of you, if you're honest, you come to Jesus for some morals. Some of you, if you're honest, you come to Jesus for a framework so you can vote your next politician in. You think, well, Jesus kind of gives us the parameters for what's really important, America, my political party, and the future president that we want to have. And so I'm going to come to, to Jesus for that. Listen, I, I love it that you're here. But what you need to know as we look at what John is telling us is that none of those are options with Jesus. Jesus is preeminent. When he says that which was from the beginning, when Colossians 1 says that, it's not talking about just sequence. It's talking about preeminence. That Jesus wasn't just first like in sequence. He's first place in all of the universe. He's the priority and authority over all of the universe. He's the priority and authority over every governmental institution. He's the priority and authority over your family, your finances, your visions, and your dreams. He is preeminent. And so when you come to Jesus for other things, you're going to miss him. Because he's not an accessory to your life. He's preeminent over all of your life. And until you surrender your life, all of it to him, all of your family, all of your voting, all of your finances, all of your dreams, you will not truly experience the Jesus of scripture. Our second point, Jesus is not a philosophy to ascribe to, but a person you experience a relationship with. Look back at the text with me, verses one and two. Notice the, the language John uses to describe his relationship with Jesus. He says, heard. He says, seen twice. He says, touched. Twice he says, God was made manifest. That means to put something on display for everyone to experience. He says, looked upon. That's even more robust language than they saw Jesus, that they looked upon Jesus, they beheld Jesus, they investigated Jesus, they got an up-close, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. We see a great example of this after the resurrection in Luke chapter 24, verse 39. Jesus says to his disciples, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see and then I love this. He tells them to get him something to eat. Another gospel says they have breakfast together. Now we got to frame this up, okay? Uh, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has just beat sin, Satan, and death. There's no bigger opponent in the world, in the universe to beat than death. And Jesus just beat it. And what does he do? Have a rally? have a parade. No, he eats breakfast with his disciples. No, you just love Jesus. Up close, personal, intimate Jesus. 
First Corinthians 15 tells us that he, he, he had conversations with about 500 people like that. And I just, I, I read stuff like that and I'm always like, well, Jesus, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Where's the hype train? Where's the cosmic, I told you so. He said he was God. He said he was gonna die and raise three days later. I, he's Jesus, I'm not, that's why, okay. Where, where's the rally? Where's the parade? Listen, uh, the Super Bowl is coming to Arizona. Did you know this? In a few weeks, right? In a few weeks, the Super Bowl is coming to Arizona and the, when the Cowboys beat their opponent, amen, I know who all the true Christians are now. Okay, praise God. Okay, okay, all right, bring it, bring it back, okay. Um, I needed to wake y'all up. That wasn't in my notes, honestly. Um, when whatever team wins the Super Bowl, some of you are sports fans, some of you are not, but you know what happens. The next week, they do a rally. They, they have a big parade. And all the players and the coaches, they just let loose. They get on stage and they start talking about their childhood and how nobody believed in them. They start talking about all their opponents throughout the season who criticized them. And they're like, now what? Like, and they're drinking from the, the Super Bowl trophy. I mean, they're just, they're embracing this moment, a rally, a parade, and I told you so. And yet Jesus, he defeated the biggest opponent, death, and he eats breakfast with his disciples? He says, hey, come here, come close. I don't want you to touch my hands. See my feet? It's me. See, here, here's what I've never gotten over in 30 plus years of following Jesus. The same Jesus who's preeminent over all of life is personal with every life. And somebody else just say amen to that. The same Jesus who sees all, who owns all, who sees all of your life. Not just the pretty parts, but the ugly parts. Not just the, the serving and the righteous deeds, but, but, but the dark parts of your life, the brokenness, the sins, the respectable ones, but also the ones you think you can hide. Jesus sees all of that. Some of you are like, really, Tim? <laughs> That's not encouraging today. Here's what's encouraging. Here's what's mind-blowing even in my life as a pastor all these years later is that same Jesus who sees all of you says, I want all of you. Yeah, I see all the hidden sin. I see all the lust and the pride and the gossip. I, I see all the imperfections. I see the dark places that you go. I see the isolation. I see the pretending with the finances and the, the second home and the career promotion and work in a room and networking. Like Jesus is like, I, I see it all. I want it all. The preeminent God of the universe is still personal with you. He wants a relationship with you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? I don't mean do you ascribe to a set of moralistic values. I don't mean do you see life through a certain philosophical lens. I don't mean do you vote a specific political party. What I mean is do you talk to Jesus? Do you get up close 
and personal and intimate with Jesus. After he beat death, he wanted to sit down with his followers and have breakfast with them. Do you have breakfast with Jesus? Do you, do you start your day with Jesus? Do you listen to him? Do you sing to him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Listen, that's what John is so excited about. That's why he doesn't have time for the greeting. Because he wants that for you. He experienced it. Now he wants to extend it to you. You see, as you picture John writing this, he, he's probably 80 plus years old. He's a grandpa at this point. And he has seen, he has gotten up close and personal and intimate with Jesus. And now he wants his kids and the faith to have the same thing. He wants you to experience the same thing. That's why if you read the book of 1 John, so many times he says this word beloved, his title, but he gives it away to you. He doesn't just walk around and say, hey, did you know I'm the beloved? Nice to meet you. <laughs> no, he's like, hey, I'm the beloved, but why don't you go ahead and take that title too? So many times he uses the word children as he's addressing the people in this letter. As he's addressing you. He's like an old grandpa. And he's just like begging and pleading with you. Will you not settle for the status quo of Jesus? Will you not settle for what our culture says about Jesus? Will you go to the Jesus of scripture? Will you know him? Will you get up close with him? John 15, Jesus says it this way. This is the test if you really know me, Jesus says. It's not if you recite me. It's not if you memorize me. It's if you abide in me, then I'll abide in you. That word abide means to stay, to remain, to get as close as possible. The preeminent one gets personal with you. Do you know him that way? Do you relate to him that way? That's what John is calling us to. The last point, Jesus is not just the way to God, but to one another. Jesus is not just the way to God, but to one another. Again, look at the text with me. Notice the communal language that's all over these verses. John says, we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, our eyes, our hands, our joy manifest to us, fellowship with us. I love that he uses that word fellowship. As a, a Texas kid growing up in church, when I heard the word fellowship, I just thought of casseroles. Okay, I'm just being honest with you today. And listen, I, it was great. Like, I remember, like, we're going to have some fellowship together. And that meant everybody brought a casserole. And then I, like, looked in the original language, and I realized fellowship doesn't, in fact, mean casserole. It means shared life. The original Greek word is koinonia. And what's so beautiful about what John says is it's not a, a koinonia, a shared life, a fellowship around a commonality. It's not a shared life around an affinity. It's a shared life with the Father and the Son and the people of God. It's the people of God united by the Son of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. That's what he's talking about. And I think if you, if you read closer what you see in verse 4, look at it with me. John says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. When he says that, he's talking about him and the other apostles. 
The reason why we write these letters to you, the reason why we want you to know who Jesus really is and worship him as such, the reason me and the other apostles have, have done that is so that our joy may be complete. And I read that and I thought, John, did you make a mistake? Shouldn't it be your joy? You ever read scripture and think like, I don't know if you meant to say that. <laughs> How arrogant is that of me, right? I really thought, well, no, John, you're, you're saying, um, I want you guys to know Jesus, experience fellowship, koinonia, shared life with him and with one another so that your joy may be complete. That's not what he says. He says, so that our joy, him and the rest of the apostles. Now just, just picture that with me. These are people who've seen Jesus, walked with Jesus, Saw him die for sin, saw him resurrect and beat sin, Satan, in the grave. And he says, but our joy isn't quite complete yet. See, we need one another. We need to not just embrace this love, we need to extend this love to you. And then our joy may be complete. You see, love moves. You can't experience the love of Jesus and be complete and not extend it to other people. Like that's how it works. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love people. They're always connected. And yet a popular phrase in our society, a popular phrase in the church is often to say, I like Jesus, but not the church. Have you heard that? You know, that's an impossibility biblically. But it's also an impossibility practically, right? Think about, I have three kids, right? And if you said to me, Tim, hey, I really like you. You're really great, like pastor, friend, like some of you are like, let's get dinner, let's hang out. I wanna get coffee with you. Like, I really like your sweater. And I would say, thank you. <laughs> I really like you, Tim. I like, man, Cowboys, that's my team too. Let's hang out and watch them today. Get beat by the 49ers. Let's be a misery together, okay? And if some of you were to say that and yet say, but your three kids, can you leave them at home? They're just kind of annoying. Can you just get rid of your three kids? But me and you, Tim, it's all about me and you. Would we hang out? I'm gonna go ahead and let y'all know. No. <laughs> no, why? Because it's a package deal. You get me, you get my kids. It's the same way with Jesus and his church. You get both. And you're like, well, that's, but that's messier than my quiet time by myself, me and Jesus. Yeah, it's messy and it's beautiful and it's redemptive. And so it makes the local church the hope of the world, the manifold, manifold wisdom of God. Amen? This is how it works. And some of you right now today, you would say, hey, I know Jesus. But your joy isn't complete. And you know why? Because you thought like, I know Jesus and like he'll fix my marriage and, and he'll uh, give me that promotion or he'll let me stay at home. I don't know what your situation is right now. And I, I know like he'll let me buy that home and then I'll be complete. He'll let me find that spouse and then I'll be complete. Or he'll let me have that kid and then I'll be complete. Or he'll let me retire and then I'll be complete. And you ever been there, you got those things and you were still incomplete? You know why? Because until you have truly experienced the love of Jesus and extended it and locked arms with the people of God, empowered by the spirit of God, changed by the love of Jesus themselves, you will be incomplete. 
you will be incomplete. John, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, he was his best friend. And he says, I'm glad I got this letter written. I'm glad you can receive it because until then I wasn't complete. Do you think we need one another if John needed one another? Do you think we need to extend the love of Jesus that we have first embraced if John did? Amen? That's the only way we experience complete joy. So here's what we're going to do as we end our time together today. We're going to sing in a moment, but first we're going to take communion. See, communion was always a family meal. The, the first time Jesus instituted the Last Supper, he took the bread, he took the wine, and he did it around a table. And he did it with his friends, with his disciples. And it was meant to show us that the blood of Jesus Christ, the body that was broken for you, united you with God, but it also united you with one another. It's beautiful, and it's vertical, and it's horizontal. And so as we start this new church together, I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate that, that we're the people of God that, who have experienced the love of Jesus, that have been united by the Son of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, and that we would partake in the elements together to show a visible sign of that, that our joy might be complete, that we might start taking steps to experience the joy that Jesus has for you and nothing less by experiencing his love, but also extending it to, to one another. Listen, church, I, I love you. I want your joy to be complete. It's gonna be messy at times, but Jesus is going to move you to love him and to love one another. And he will unite us even in the mess. There's nothing else like it. And so we're going to take communion together. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for these people. I, I pray that they would experience more than a phrase. They would experience the reality that love moves. That Jesus, you moved to them. That you stepped into human history. That you lived, that you died, that you resurrected for every single person in this room. God, I, I pray for the people that don't know that, that don't experientially know that. Maybe they know some facts about you. Maybe they could get some answers right about you on a quiz, but they don't have this relationship that John speaks of that's up close and personal and intimate. And God, I just pray right now that you would call them to yourself in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, they would know they're not here by accident. They're here by appointment. And they could stop listening to me and they could start talking to you. And they could give you their sin. They could give you their life and experience a love that they've never experienced before. That's unconditional. That's, that's fully known. That's fully loved. That that's available right now. And God, then they could take communion for the first time. That would be such a joy. And God, I pray for the people who do already know you. And if they're honest, as they've started this new year, they, they have just added you on as an accessory to their New Year's resolutions or to their family or their finances or to their goals. And God, I just pray by your grace, you would shatter that concept of you right now. Even as we take these elements, that we would realize that the creator of all, the, the Alpha and the Omega, humbled himself, even to the point of a death on a cross. And you did that for us. 
And you did that not so we could come to church on a Sunday and go to lunch. You did that not just so we could recite some verses. You did that because you wanted to change us from the inside out. You wanted to have a relationship with us. And God, I pray for just all of us that we would have a renewed picture of who you really are and we would follow you as such. And God, we just ask for you to do what only you can do. So we pray that right now by the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen.